So uh, I, I hope that as you spend this time in prayer and as you set aside some time for fasting, that it would be drawing you to this, uh, to, to the word of God. And as we are drawn to the word of God, that it would, it would transform us. That it wouldn't just be words on a page. That it wouldn't just be something that we are reading. But it would be something that it becomes part of who we are. It's something that's settled down deep in you. And then so much so that it begins to come out of you. And you begin to walk affected by what God has done for you. You begin to live transformed. And this is what we're going to talk on tonight is this. The transformed life of a disciple. The transformed life of a disciple. We ought to be transformed. When we, when you encounter Jesus Christ, there's a transformation that takes place. There is a transformation that begins to happen in us. And I want to start here in Luke chapter 14. Luke 14 verse 27. Where it's here that Jesus is instructing those around him of what it takes To be one of his disciples. And he says that whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And if you do not take up that cross and follow him. That means that you lay aside everything that you used to hold dear. Everything that you used to think was so important. I, I, I lay all that down and I pick up the cross, the same cross that Jesus bore and that I begin to bear his cross and I follow him fully. I commit completely and I sold out to him. He says, unless you're sold out, unless you're all in, you cannot be my disciple. The verse just prior to this one uh, says that if you don't, Hate your parents and your siblings and your family in comparison to the love that you have for me, then you can't be my disciple. Now that seems rather extreme. Seems rather extreme for Jesus, especially speaking then in a culture that so, uh, so, that family was so important. That for them, if you were to, if you were to reject your family, you were not just an outcast from your family, you were an outcast of society. Family was, it was important to them. And Jesus said, if you need to hate your, your mother and hate your father and hate your siblings in comparison to how much you love me. Now he is not telling them to hate their parents and to hate. He, he instructs us otherwise that we ought to love uh, and honor our parents and, and, and their, uh, you know, the family is, is, uh, absolutely important. Uh, but he's talking about the type of love that we must have for him. The type of devotion that we must have for him. And it is, it is a devotion and a love that would say, God, all of my desires, everything that I used to hold dear, I now set that aside and I'm bearing the cross that you carried and I will follow you. Foley. I want to look at this, this word disciple and what it means to be called to be a disciple. Because today there's a whole lot of Christians in this world. But I would say that there's not really too many disciples. 
is in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we see that Barnabas went up and uh, he was looking for Saul or Paul. And he was, he had already had this, this transformation in his life where Jesus met him on that road to Damascus. And here it says that Barnabas, who went to Tarsus, he was seeking Saul out, was trying to find him. And for some reason, uh, uh, Saul had, had gone back, it seems to be, because the people didn't be- really believe the transformation that had taken place in his life. And so he went back home to Tarsus and Barnabas went to seek him out. He found him there. And he brought him to Antioch. So he goes to Antioch, which is uh, this, this north, city north of Jerusalem. And, and there in Antioch, there was a well-established church. And it says that it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. They were there together. They began to teach and began to instruct the, uh, the people that were there. And, and it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. This is the first time that we come across that word Christian. And really it, it was meant to be a derisive term by the Gentiles. This was a term that was the outsiders looking at those who were following Jesus. And they began to call them Christians. That word Christian is this word uh, Christianos uh, in, in Greek which is one belonging to or one who is identified by Christ. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to belong to Jesus Christ. It's a honorable thing to be identified by Jesus Christ. I am in no way trying to put down that term Christian uh, when I when I make this comparison of a Christian and a disciple, but uh but it's to I want to be a Christian. I, I, I am a Christian and I, I, I desire to be one who belongs to Jesus Christ and is identified by Jesus Christ. But in those early days of the church, they did not seek that title. They rather would have been called a believer or a disciple or brother or sister or you have many other terms that they would call themselves. We never see them referring to one another as, as Christians, but rather this term disciple comes up very often. That word disciple means learner, a student. This is not a term that was only confined to uh, the Christians of that day, but we see it applied uh, from the very time that Jesus steps onto the scene in his ministry that he calls, he begins calling disciples unto him. We see the, the twelve disciples, right? We, we look at those twelve disciples and say how, how privileged they must have been to receive that call. Jesus sought them out. He called them. But you know, there were a whole lot more than just twelve disciples. We see in scripture many others who were called disciples. Matthias, who would later be added to the disciples, he was uh, a disciple. It says he had been there since the beginning. We never see his name up until the book of Acts, but he was there from the beginning with Jesus Christ. We see uh, we see men and we see women that were called disciples, and so there is a there is a large group of those who they followed Jesus everywhere that he went. They were with him, but today. 
Today, when we say the word Christian, that has a pretty broad meaning. In fact, a uh, the most the most recent study I could see from this, or, uh, or the one I found, was from Pew Research, and in 2020, they uh, their research shows that 65 percent of adults in the United States identify themselves as being a Christian, and that is very low from what it has been. Even even recently, 2015, that number was all the way up near 80%. In five years, that number, and this is the same polls, this is the same people, Pew Research, taking these polls, and, and it, was, it was around 78%, close to up near 80%. In just five years, that many people here in America have stopped identifying themselves as Christians, but still, yes, 65% of Americans that identify themselves as being Christian. Now, this, this next statistic is, uh, is one that, uh, I, I found from some research that was done by the, uh, done in this study called the American Worldview Inventory. In 2020, it was uh, conducted, some research that was conducted by Arizona Christian University. And in their research, they were, they were trying to figure out how many people who call themselves Christians are what they call integrated disciples. Now, they define that term, integrated disciples, as someone who has blended their intellectual acceptance of biblical principles into their physical application of those perspectives. One thing that they were really looking at uh, in this is, what is their worldview? You can call yourself Christian, but not really have a biblical worldview. They, they did a lot of their research and looking at how many uh, people who call themselves Christians even look at the Word of God as being inerrant or as being truthful. And it was alarming, the number of Christians, people who identify themselves as Christians, who do not look at this Word of God as being a divine-inspired Word of God that is inerrant and is here for us, that we can believe in every word of this. It's alarming, the number of people who would call themselves Christians, who even the very basic thing you would think for a Christian would be, this is the Word of God. And this is where I must go to to find out how I live my life. It comes from this. And then they went from that and studied these other different areas of, you know, how do they live their life? What does their worldview look like? You know, the way that they put this into practice. And uh, from their studies, they had that they, they broke down different denominations within Christendom and Pentecostals. Um, so they have Pentecostals and Charismatics lumped together, and they had that 16% of Pentecostals in the United States are classified as integrated disciples. That seems very low, but that was actually the highest number among any of the denominations. Catholics who make up the 
highest population of Christians in the United States, they were at a mere 2% of Catholics that they would be classified as integrated disciples. This isn't to say, demean any any relig- or any uh, denomination or Catholic or anybody, uh, but, but what I'm looking at here is, this is according to their studies, how many people uh, have a biblical worldview that they are uh, looking at the world through the lens of Scripture, and then their life is actually portraying what they believe or what they say they believe, what they profess to believe as a Christian. And it's really not that high of a number. Not at all. But I'm not really even here just for the numbers. Because when we look at our lives, we can sometimes find incongruencies between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. In fact, if you have a, if you have a, a, a pencil or a pen or something there in that, that notes section, I'll have you write some things in here just real quick if you have something to write with. I want you just to draw a, a circle. Not maybe, maybe, maybe make up half of that notes section. Just draw a circle. I, I wish I had some, some drawing thing up here. I should, I should hook my iPad up to this screen sometime so I could do that. So if you draw a circle... And if you were to write beliefs in that circle, this is where your beliefs are. And then if you were to draw another circle that somewhat overlaps that in the middle, you have an overlapping section. And so you have two concentric circles that overlap just a little bit in the middle. And you have in that other circle where it says behavior. of your beliefs, and your behavior. And there's some times in our life where, even as Christians, we have the beliefs that do not match up to our behavior. And so, what are you? Are you what you say you believe, or are you how you behave? A disciple is one who is right there in the middle where their beliefs and their behaviors align. In that middle part where those two circles overlap, where the beliefs and the behaviors align with one another, that is what we could identify as someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Somebody who is not just professing to believe, but they are also behaving in the way that they profess to believe. They're allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to not just be something that's words on a page, but it's something that overflows and it affects every day that they live. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who allows Jesus to change what they care about. That's the simplest definition that I love to use. I stole that definition from um, Brother Ken and Chris Dillingham. And uh, I, I love them, respect them so much. They both pastor in Ohio. And, and uh, this is the, the, the definition that they use for a disciple. And I can't find 
a better definition myself. It's somebody who allows Jesus to change what they care about. Now, if you were to look at the actual definition of disciple, it means a learner, a student. But what does a learner and a student do? They aren't just there ingesting the information, but they're expected to apply the information. In fact, that word uh, to teach in, in, in uh, the word to teach in the Hebrew language, it, it means it, it, it means both to tell the information and for that information to be lived out, to be uh, to be received and then applied. All of that is is in that word to teach. And so as as the word instructs us or as the word of God teaches us, as Jesus begins to teach us and we have the spirit leading us and guiding us, it is truly not teaching us unless we are applying it and we see it applied in our life. Unless it's changing the things that we care about. There's a whole lot of things that you care about in this life. Not all of them are sinful. The sinful things, they are taken care of just by reading scripture. You see it directly right in here that it begins to, to, uh, Smack you in the face with saying, hey, we got to get that out of your life. That area right there, that's something that we're, we ought not be dealing with anymore because you call yourself a Christian. This is what you say you believe, but your behavior is not that. And so let's begin to align these things. And so whatever is sinful begins to be pushed out of our life as we as we begin to apply what we believe into how we behave. But there's, there's some other things in our life that are not sinful and they're behaviors that um, are the things that, that we care about that Jesus will lead us or the Spirit will lead us to say, let's get rid of that little thing in your life. Why? Is it a sin? It's not a sin. But I'm trying to push you in a direction that will form you into my likeness. I'm pushing you to holiness. I'm pushing. I'm rounding you out. I'm, I'm trying to chip some, some areas off of your life that are holding you back. And in fact, I want you to, I want to see you fulfill your purpose, the whole purpose why I put you on this, on this earth. And so, and so he begins to, uh, to lead us in certain areas. And there's things that we care about that we look in scripture and we say, well, I don't see the scripture that's telling me I have to give this up. So I'm going to hold on to it. But a disciple is somebody who would allow the spirit to even let us have us let go of those things as it leads. So you don't become a disciple when you go to church. You don't become a disciple when you get baptized. You don't become a disciple when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't become a disciple when you begin to sing on the platform during worship service. You don't become a disciple when you're teaching a Sunday school class. You don't become a disciple even when you receive a, a card or a, a, a commendation from the Indiana district to say that you're a licensed minister. None of that, 
necessarily means that you are a disciple. A disciple is somebody who allows the gospel to affect their choices. Who allows the gospel to begin to change things. Now, now as it's doing that, will you begin to come to church? Yes. Will you begin, you know, let's, let's just take somebody who is, who is totally foreign to all of this. Never step foot in a church. And God begins to work on them. They're introduced to somebody who is on fire for God and they, they begin to see, see something different about that person and they're drawn to it. They don't know what it is and they begin to ask questions because they're intrigued by it. And as, as they're intrigued by it, they begin to see this and, and God begins to work on their, on their heart and, and begins to see some, you begin to see some little changes in them. And, and when you begin to see some little changes in them, when they're like, when they're looking at their own life and reflecting on their own life and, and all of a sudden they're saying, you know what? I'm feeling a pull to go and to, to make some little changes. And, and, you know, was it, was it because they, they picked up the scripture and they began to read it. Well, it may not have even started there. It may have just started because God was working on their heart and they haven't even picked this up yet. And this is this beginning journey on this discipleship where God is beginning to change some things in their life. And as we see that begin to happen, all of a sudden there's a road that they're going down and God be- continues to reveal so, uh, to reveal things to us through the gospel and it affects the way that we live. And so you would expect that person who, who uh, never knew Jesus and was living in this way, that by the time that they become a uh, that they become born again, that they become uh, born in water and spirit and they've repented all of um, and they've, they've received uh, the, the Holy Ghost you would expect that by that time that they have uh, allowed the gospel to begin to affect their choices and they're they're allowing their mind to process things through a different lens and this is this is the this journey of a disciple is that Scripture begins to be the lens through which we process the things going on around us. The gospel, the message of the gospel begins to be the lens through which we we view the things in this world. We see other people in our relationships are changed because of the gospel. If every relationship that you have is one of strife, we need to reflect on some things. If all of our, if all of our relationships are, are full of strife and it's like, you know, nobody wants to be around us, we need to reflect on some things because that is not the gospel being lived out in our life. Getting ahead of myself just a little bit. Right, let's go to, let's go to John chapter 12. John 12 verse 25. Jesus speaking here, he says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Unto life eternal. If any man serve me, get this, if any man serve me, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. If you serve me, let him follow me. 
If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. See that if you serve him, if you would call yourself a Christian, a servant of Jesus Christ, then we must follow him wherever he leads us. This is what distinguishes what I would call a cultural Christian or somebody who would just identify themselves as a Christian today and what is a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus and they, they are, uh, allow the things that matter to them to begin to change because, because they uh, aren't just classifying themselves as a Christian, but they are actually living it out. I want to look at this idea of a transformed life. Transform life. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, this chapter here is, is, an, uh, is it's an interesting chapter in Romans because it's a transition chapter. You've had... You've had Paul laying out all these arguments, these theological arguments about God in chapters 1 through 11, about who Jesus Christ is and about uh, you know, all, these, all these things that uh, really are, are pointing towards God and who He is and, and what He has done. And then he begins to, to uh, shift here in this chapter, chapter 12, and he begins to make this all applicable to us. So he's saying, now that you know who God is, now that you know what Jesus came to accomplish on this earth, I want you to understand that we must begin to live according to, or be, we must be affected by what he did for us. And to begin to live according to that. He says, so... Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't take on the form and the likeness of this world. Peter says it this way. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Okay? You're not going after the former lusts and the things that, uh, that, that when you did not know him, when you're ignorant of, of Jesus, that's how you used to live. Don't live that way anymore. That, was, that would be being conformed to this world. But now, he says, be ye transformed. Be ye transformed. That word, or that phrase, be ye transformed, means to be completely changed in a supernatural way. I want you to be completely changed. We, we see this word, this, this verb, transformed. Uh, we see that used two other places in Scripture. This Greek word, uh, it's, it's, um, it comes out differently, or it's, uh, it's in Mark chapter 9, it uh, comes out as transfiguration. So this is talking about the transfiguration of Jesus on the mount. When he goes up there with, with uh, three of his disciples, and he is transfigured into this other whole different likeness. It's transfigured, completely changed. And that's that word, transformed. So it's a complete change in like, in who Jesus was in that moment. There's one other place that we see this word transformed. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about 
beholding our face in the glass and looking at, at the glory of God and we are transformed. Our figure is transformed uh, when we see, uh, it says, but we with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we begin to see Jesus, we, be, we become transformed by Him. We ought to become uh, more and more like Him as we put our eyes on Him. And this is the, the word that, that Paul is using here in Romans where he says, I want you to be transformed, completely changed. Now that's a tall task, isn't it? For any of us to go and to say, I want you to give up your own desires. I want you to, to begin to um, not fit into the mold of this world or even the mold of who you were. And I want you just to go and to, to, be, to live a life that's completely different, that's transformed. If it was up to us and our own ability, I don't believe that that would be possible to do. To be transformed, to be completely changed from who we were to who we are, to who we are in Christ. But he, the expectation is not that we would do this by ourselves. The expectation is that through the Spirit of God, that our lives would be transformed, would be completely changed. That it is by God's Spirit, that when it comes in, it begins to change us. Now, how does he say this happens? He says it's by, it's by the way that you adorn yourself on the outwards, on the outward appearance. No, that's not what he says. It's by the way that you begin to speak and that you talk to others. No, it's, it's not by that. It's not by the outside things. He says it's by the renewing of the mind. It begins on the inside. You can have superficial change that's like a facade on a building that makes it look good on the outside, but unless the structure is good on the inside, it's all going to come crashing down. He said the transformation must happen from the inside by the renewing of your mind. Now, what is the renewing of your mind? It's a mind that has been completely changed for the better. A mind that has been completely changed for the better. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, uh, it, it implores us to set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. We need to get some values that are coming from up above and not values that are from here on this earth. Here's one of our problems. A lot of times we like to or tend to and probably don't even realize we're doing it. We, we conflate American values into scriptural values. And I'm thankful that America was founded on godly principles. I'm thankful for that. But not every American value is a kingdom value. And I'm not going to dive deep into that, but maybe we will sometime. We're not called to live according to the values and the good virtues of this earth. 
Anybody can do that. Anybody can live to the good virtues of this earth, but we're called to live by the virtues of Jesus Christ and kingdom values, Jesus values. I want to see, Jesus, what did you teach? What is the gospel? How, how does the gospel show me what I must value in life? What, what does the gospel have to say? Paul writes in his, in his letters to Timothy, and Timothy was a, was a young man when he, when he met him on his missionary journeys and, and began to uh, mentor him, and, and eventually Timothy becomes uh, the pastor there in, in Ephesus, and, and he corresponds with him by letter and, and is encouraging him. And here we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, that he says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learned from me. It's a pattern that was shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Hold on to this pattern of wholesome teaching. This, this pattern that was shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Jesus Christ. Hold on to that. This is a, there's a pattern of things that, that we need to begin to hold on to. There's a pattern of things that we begin to see values, a pattern of values that begin to jump off the page of, of scripture and of the gospel. And we begin to see this and, and we, uh, we, we need to hold on to those things. They need to become part of our everyday life. In his first letter to Timothy, he tells him, these things command and teach. Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, that's the behavior in which we display, the way that we live. In our charity or the, the way that we love others. You know, what are the, what are the commandments? What are the, the, Jesus says, says the, the greatest commandment is love, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is charity. He says, he says, be an example in the way that you love others, in the way that you give. This word charity was often used with, uh, in, in connection with financial gifts. And, and he says, the way that you would give to others and the needs of others around you. He says, I want you to be an example of believers in that way. I want you to be an example of believers in the in spirit, in the fact that you are not governed by your spirit, but you're governed by the spirit of God. In your faith, in your purity, these are these are kingdom values, things that we begin to uh, that, that we must assess in our own life. Am I continuing in this pattern of being an example of the believers in my word, in my conversation, my charity, in my spirit, faith, and purity? There's some good questions that we can that we can ask ourselves. One is. What areas in your life do not reflect the value system of the kingdom? I believe that I'm speaking to disciples here tonight. But disciples are ones that realize I still have some areas in my life that need worked out. I still have some areas that Jesus needs to work on me. Amen. Anybody there? I haven't made it yet. 
What are some areas in my life that do not reflect the value system of the kingdom? Do I have fear in my life? Because scripture tells us perfect love casteth out fear. And that we don't have to live in fear of the things of this world. There is one kind of fear that we ought to have. It's the fear of God. But other than that, Scripture tells us we don't have to live in fear. And yet, there are many that are crippled by fear every day. What about anger? Anybody struggle with anger? And I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything. But struggle with anger? Struggle with lust? Struggle with anxiety? Kind of closely linked with fear there. There's a whole list of things that we could go down of the value system of the kingdom that is saying that when you are in Christ, these are things, these are behaviors, these are emotions that you don't have to, you don't have to be held captive by them. And so the question is, what areas in my life do not reflect what scripture is telling me my life should reflect or the what should be the fruit that I'm bearing. And when you begin to assess that and you begin to see some fruit in your life that is not fruit that comes from the gospel, it's not fruit that comes from the value system of Jesus, then what's causing that to be there? And this is what a disciple does, is they look at that, that fruit that's there, and they begin to assess it, and they begin to pray, and they begin, uh, they begin to say, Lord, I want to get rid of that fruit in my life, and so I need you to begin to change some things in my life on the inside, the transformation of my mind. I need you to renew my mind and renew my thinking, okay? Begins on the inside. You can, you can begin to do some changes on the outside that are superficial that aren't going to last. But we need to begin to be disciples and to say, all right, I'm dealing with fear. And so, God, I need, I, I need you to begin to teach me how to not have fear anymore. And I've been dealing with anxiety and I need, I, I don't want to live with anxiety. And, and I'm not saying that, uh, that an anxious person is somebody who's going to hell. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But that is not the fruit in the value system of the kingdom. It's not the value system. That, you shouldn't have to live with anxiety every day that you wake up. And so a disciple is somebody that's saying, Lord, I'm sick and tired of living with this anxiety and I need you to begin to renew my mind and begin to teach me the pathway to, to, to get some things out of my life that may not even be sinful, but they're causing the anxiety in my life. And as he reveals them, sometimes they're things that hurt to get rid of. Maybe it's lust and you just can't seem to to get over it and it's and you know you know it's it's sinful you know if it's it's something that that you 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 shouldn't be drawn to but uh but yet as he be, as as the spirit leads you and as a disciple you begin to see uh you know these are some things that you need to um cut yourself off from oh but somebody's going to know about it if i do that cuz that seems like an extreme measure are we a disciple or are we not a disciple is somebody, as Jesus begins to reveal things, we begin to change what matters to us. And sometimes that means that 
some of this stuff may come out in the light. Not always, but sometimes it's going to come out in the light to, to some others around us. And that's good because it's allowing us to begin to be transformed wholly, completely. A disciple is somebody who, uh, who is allowing fruit by fruit, all these things in our life to be transformed. Every area of our life being transformed and changed by Jesus Christ. And upon identifying those areas that don't reflect the kingdom, here's the second question. Are you allowing God to change those areas of your life? Let's allow him to begin to change some areas of our life. Amen. I just have a couple minutes left. I want, there, we could we could go on and on and on on this last one. I just have two little areas that bring out some kingdom values. You could find kingdom values wherever you open up scripture. But these are two uh, rich areas of kingdom kingdom values. The one is in Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, verse twenty two through twenty three. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Ooh. That's kind of a hard one sometimes. When you're going through something and you're impatient, saying, all right, God, I know you can take me out of this situation right now. Sometimes he's saying, I'm teaching you long-suffering. This is the value of the kingdom. You know, you know that pain is a value of the kingdom? Sometimes we have to go through pain and hardship. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against these things there is no law. These are reflective of the value system of the kingdom. These are things that are reflective of that. And so if you view these things and then you view your life and they don't match up, then there's some, uh, there's some areas for growth right there that we could begin to uh, put ourselves in the shoes of a disciple and say, all right, God, I need you to begin to change some areas in my life. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. As we do this and as we view ourselves in this role of a disciple who is continuing to be changed, continuing to allow Jesus to change things in our life, it becomes so much easier to relate to those around us who are just beginning the journey, and they have a whole lot of things that they need to change. But we, we become the person who says, you know what, God's still changing things in my life too. And I'm not looking at you as somebody who is so completely different from me, and it's like, you don't measure up, you know what, we still... Both of us have areas in our life that need to be changed. That Jesus is changing things in my life. And we can begin to have conversations uh, with, with those around us that, uh, that they have leaps and bounds that they can make in, as they begin this journey of discipleship if they are willing and ready. But we can relate to them easily when we view ourselves in the same fashion as a disciple that Jesus is changing things in my life even today. And as I look this week, God, you, you pointed this out in my life this morning when I, was, when I was in prayer. God, you began to point this out into my life as something that I need to change and that I need to begin to, uh, to, to 
move that move into this uh, move out of you know this thing out of my life and and begin to uh, pursue you know something else and and as you're doing that it's it's allowing you to begin to relate to somebody else who needs to make similar changes to you. It's a beautiful thing about this this discipleship journey is that. God is changing us and transforming us, and it's all happening from the inside out. It's not about somebody else forcing it on us from the outside, but it's from the inside out. The Spirit is leading us. We can go, we have a couple minutes. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. We see Jesus talking about the Beatitudes. Here he is on the Sermon on the Mount, this great big uh, sermon that he is he's going to uh, dive into, and he begins this whole sermon with these phrases right here. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Come on, we're talking kingdom values, mercy, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, meek. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen. You could stop on that one for a while. Blessed are the peacemakers. Is that your value system? Are you a peacemaker? I know some who say, I was just born this way. <laughs> I was born to raise trouble. Every time I open my mouth, I mean, it's like, I, I, God didn't make me to be agreeable. Well, the value system of the kingdom is that we would be peacemakers, not causing division. Everywhere that we go and coming in and trying to be a wrecking ball in every situation that we enter into, there's a time for that. Jesus threw over the, the money tables and, and all these things. There's, there's a time for that, but there's, there's, a, there's plenty of time to be a peacemaker, and God has called us to be peacemakers. Amen. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. He's saying rejoice and be exceeding glad. These are value systems of the kingdom. These are things that in our life we ought to have these things reflected in us. They ought to become part of who we are and to flow out of us. I use this word uh, to, to finish this Bible study here tonight, to become fluent in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like learning to speak another language, and you can begin to speak that language and stumble over it, and, and, and you know a few words here and there, and sometimes that's how we are with the gospel, is that we know uh, a few things here and there, but it's not, you know, it, just, it doesn't come out easy in the way that we live. But it ought to come out easy. We ought to, we ought to be walking in the Spirit every day. And what I mean by that is, is we ought to uh, allow the things that are in us, this, these kingdom values, these Jesus values, they ought to be coming out of us and 
being re, uh, be, be the things that we are displaying every day that we wake up, every day that we, um, you know, everywhere that we go throughout the day. This is being fluent in the gospel. When you open up, when you open up your mouth to speak, you're speaking kingdom language. You're speaking language of love, language of peace. You're seeing somebody else who needs restored, and you're the one that's there to help them to, to be restored in their relationship. You're not there to tear apart. And you see somebody else who's hurting, and, 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 and you're there to, to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. You can say, I, I can't put you back together, but I know somebody who can. And it's not even, I can't help you, but I can bring you to church and I can tell you how the church can help you. No. I, I can tell you about Jesus Christ and he can put you back together and he can help you. And so let me show you who he is. Not let me show you the way to the church. Let me show you who Jesus Christ is. Let me show you who he is because I have a testimony of what he's done for me. If you just knew what God did for me, then you would understand that he could do it for you too. Amen. Does anybody have that testimony here tonight? Let's all stand in this place. If you have that testimony that Jesus Christ has changed you and transformed you and you've begun that journey. You've begun this journey of discipleship, but yet here we realize I'm not done. God, you still, you still can change things in my life. And I want to continue, Lord, to identify myself as a disciple. That as you reveal things to me, Lord, that I would be willing to change. Amen. If you're willing to do that tonight, would you uh, just uh, stretch a hand up to him right now as we close this service in prayer and just say, ask him, Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord, that I would not uh, push back against you and the changes that you want to make in my life, but Lord, that I would allow myself to be a disciple of you, Lord, that I would put myself in the place, Lord, that says I'm not the finished product. God, I realize that there are still areas in my life that you're trying to, to push uh, certain things out of my life so that I I can become more like you, Lord. You're trying to help me, Lord, to see others, Lord, through through the lens of Scripture, Lord. So I pray that you would help us here tonight, Lord, that we would be vulnerable enough, Lord, to, to allow change to happen. God, I pray that we would be vulnerable enough in our time of prayer and vulnerable enough with others, Lord, that we would allow real change, real transformation to begin to happen from the inside out. God, I don't want to put on a front anymore. God, it's not about the transformation on the outside so much as the transformation on the inside. So God, let us be transformed inside out. Lord, by the renewing of our minds, God, let us be disciples of you. Everywhere that we go, everywhere that we walk, everybody we speak to, God, that we would allow the kingdom values, Lord, to be permeating everywhere, or every time that we speak. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Amen. So thankful for each and every one of you.